The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined as always by my childhood friend Chris Dow. A pea protein Donna kebab. And my adulthood chum Minty Booth. In your back garden. And we are <laughs> chatting about our absolute favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into this week's episode, we just want to remind you of our ongoing competition that we're running. It is the Share an Article Win 12 Games competition. It's a catchy title. It very much does what it says on the tin, if it were on a tin, which it's not. It's in your mind. and No, it's not. doesn't matter. Anyway, all you need to do to be eligible to enter this competition is to go to our website, o3c.games, have a look at our amazing articles and share one of them on Twitter. Tag a friend in the post, tag us at O3C Games, use the hashtag O3C Bundle and follow us on Twitter to be in with the chance of winning a fantastic bundle of games on Steam that we have put together for you. These games include such indie bangers as Hotshot Racing, the Text Assist, Desert Child, Framed, Retro Wave, uh, some classics like Brutal Legend and Cave Blazers, other games as well. And the final piece of the bundle is, uh, is it's actually very much up to you if you win, because you can pick between Half-Life 2, Res Infinite and Tales of Symphonia, our three favourite video games of all time. You can pick one of those to complete your bundle. It's, it's I mean, you'll be gaming for hours, literal hours. So if you want to be in with a chance of winning those brilliant games, go to our website, share an article, tag a friend, Follow us on Twitter and stay tuned. Coming soon from HyperX. The Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life, so you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into the action. Hear audio cues with pinpoint precision thanks to the dual chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X Spatial Audio. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, zero wires. The Cloud Alpha Wireless. Available soon at HyperX.com, HP.com, Amazon, Best Buy, Micro Center, and more fine retailers. So, this week, my friends, we have gathered to amend our top 100 lists even further. I mean, after you've replaced the head of a broom and the handle of a broom, is it still your broom? <laughs> so, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're deviating our lists even further from what they once were, but that's fine because life goes on times change seasons change <laughs> but before we dive into those amendments it's time to reflect on what we've been playing in the last week and i'm going to kick us off this week because i have pretty much finished pokemon legends arceus oh. now somehow in the last week i've managed to crowbar in 60 hours of gameplay six zero <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, I've been been playing it. Uh, I was going to say day and night, but just night all night. It is it is an absolutely outstanding game, and uh, I can definitely confirm that it's where the future of the series lies. They've basically taken all the best elements of the recent Pokemon games and just refined it down into a fantastic modern experience. Obviously, it's got like the wild area exploration and sense of discovery and surprise that's there from Sword and Shield. And, uh, you know, the excitement of stumbling across an alpha Pokemon in Legends, very, very similar to finding like a nice Pokemon den in Sword and Shield, seeing a big cool monster in there. But then it's also got the immediacy of Pokemon Let's Go, which obviously took a lot from the Pokemon Go mobile game. And you could just like chuck Pokeballs around Willy and indeed Nilly. But that mechanic has been refined just so brilliantly here in Legends. It feels, you know, less like Pokemon Go, where throwing Pokeballs is just pretty much your only method of strategy in catching wild Pokemon. And it's just, it's turned it into something that's just, just nuanced and clever. And it's, it's taken away so many factors that bog the old games down. Like something that really struck me is just, there's no trainer battles. I mean, obviously battling trainers is a, a big thing in the Pokemon games. And there's some in, in this game. And to, to be honest, there probably could have been, been more of it. But I've always found it such a frustrating part of exploration. Usually, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, when you're trying to hunt some Pokemon, but you're constantly interrupted by some dickhead going on about his shorts or like you know just throwing one pokemon at you that you about 10 times more powerful than it just really slows you down um and you know you'll just get interrupted on route 
whatever the fuck i don't know but i like the way that it's done in this game to replace gym badges so you basically level up your character uh, by getting different rankings depending on how much research you do basically gives you the same functionality as gym badges but without having to do more and more trainer battles but you do get essentially boss battles in the game with the um the frenzied pokemon the noble frenzied noble pokemon and it's uh, it's just a it's a it's a fantastic way of mixing things up even further because it's got real time action in there fused with classic battling. It's just yeah, it's just really exciting. There's loads of loads of lovely little details in the game as well, like um, finding all of the hidden unknown was uh, was just insanely enjoyable. And also hunting the wisps. There's like about I don't know over a hundred just little just little wisps of flame just dotted around the environments and it's just it's nice keeping your eyes peeled for little details reminded me a bit of of, uh, hunting the diglet in the uh, sword and shield dlc which is also just a a really nice experience obviously the game's not the game's not perfect but you can definitely see that building on this they could create so many more incredible adventures like i mean it'd be great if we got to somewhere where the graphical level was equal to say new Pokemon Snap and the game also featured the variety of behaviours that you see in that game obviously I understand why that isn't realistic in like a proper open world setting but you know it's hopefully where they're heading towards because it's just such an immersive and wonderful Pokemon experience and this world feels more alive than any Pokemon game I've played so far by by a long way and you know having those having those extra details having things like Pokemon interacting with each other having you know sort of maybe herds and family groups and and other sort of behaviors and things going on would just it'd be so so nice and uh, hope like I said hopefully they can just build on that like I'm, I'm not gonna knock the graphical prowess of the game yeah it doesn't look as good as Horizon on the PS5. I mean, obviously, it doesn't even look as good as Breath of the Wild. <laughs> it's possibly only on a par with GameCube games, but I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter when the gameplay is as good as it is here. Like, it's it's not ugly to look at, but it's not a sort of pretty game where you sort of just just want to stop for a moment and take a screenshot. But like I said, it doesn't it doesn't really like it doesn't let anything down. There's I mean, there's one little thing that I found was a bit of a letdown in terms of how the graphics impacted my experience and that's just the draw distance, which is really quite narrow. It would have been nicer to be able to see further with more clarity and see items and Pokemon from a greater distance away. But again, like it it didn't really mar my enjoyment of the game overall. I would also say that the the specificity of the design of the world doesn't match something like Breath of the Wild, where every slightly intriguing rock formation or a piece of scenery or a particularly big tree or something, like everything that you spot in Breath of the Wild that you go, oh, what's that? You go and discover and it will most likely reward you with something. That's not quite the case in Legends. Like the, the, the landscape just felt a bit more generic and that's fair enough that's what landscape is like but then you also have like you you get different movement abilities throughout the game which are like you know you ride on pokemon that can then do stuff and that doesn't quite have the precision that would come with like a metroidvania in legends you you can sort of like brute force yourself up a mountainside skyrim style but later on you do get a pokemon that can like specifically climb rock faces and it'd be nice if there was a bit more clarity between those areas. So yeah, okay, I can't climb up this mountain because I I can't climb up this mountain yet. That's fine. I can't get up there until I get something that can climb up the mountain rather than being like, oh, I might be able to if I use this one and ride and jump and ride and run and and dash and roll (laughs) and then I'm I'm up. Because so much about this game is, is about establishing the first Pokedex. It's about exploring and noting and researching these these Pokemon. But also it'd be nice if there was that sense of really exploring and plotting this uncharted land. So, you know, you could make notes on your map and say, right, okay, well, I couldn't, I can see there's some stuff up there, but I can't get up there yet. So I've got to remember and I'll come back. Yeah. So things, things like that. I mean, it's, you can tell that Breath of the Wild had had years of consideration over every single section of that world every single section of the map had a purpose was designed with like i said precision and specificity and um legends doesn't doesn't match that but hopefully it will in the future but uh 
it's absolutely brilliant. I think it's a, a good entry point for Pokemon as a series as well. I think it does so many things so right for newcomers. It means that the world and the lore and everything is just so much more tantalizing because it's just so much more immediate. I, would, I mean, I'd love to see another region explored in this style, maybe like Pokemon Legends Celebi game, exploring the Johto region of the Gold and Silver games. But I don't know where they go next. They, they might do the next generation, like Gen 5, is it? Unova? They might do something something entirely new. Like, I think there's a lot of value in revisiting the established known areas of this world in their ancient history. There's some lovely allusions in, in Legends Arceus to areas that will be developed and established in Diamond and Pearl. I did get a little bit itchy to check out the Diamond and Pearl remakes once I saw how many parallels there are between the games. There's even stuff like there's there's side quests that you unlock in Arceus if you've got a Diamond and Pearl save file. And there's even one quest in the in the game that the, the clues on how to solve it are in a book in a library in Diamond and Pearl. Or on the internet. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> I, I I caved and I picked up Brilliant Diamond. Um, oh, which... Jonathan! I thought what? you were both. I thought both you and Minty were guess were saying no, no, no to that. Yeah, well, I got I got a hankering for it, didn't I? And, and to be fair, it is it is really lovely. It, it is a carbon copy of the mechanics of you know an original old style Pokemon game. And I, but I I really do like the chibi art style. Uh, I, know, I know not everybody's liked it, but it's just so nice. It's just so cute. It makes everything obviously very adorable, and the world is just so soft and gentle and colourful and inviting. It's it's really nice. But I'm absolutely bored, and I haven't even got my first badge yet. Uh, I really do miss just the immediacy of the gameplay style of Arceus. But I'm going to keep playing it because it does feel like it, it feels nice and familiar. It's like a, like a cuddle from an old friend. And uh, yeah, I can pick my way through that adventure in the evenings. And, and that'll be nice because I haven't really got much coming on the Switch that I'm looking forward to until um, until Kirby next month. So uh, yeah, some evenings on the Switch in uh, the Sinnoh region and um, trip down memory lane. I'll probably start enjoying it more when I get into it. Maybe we'll find out. I'll let you know. Obviously, that's what this is about. I'll stop wittering on about Pokemon now. Minty, how have you got on with Pokemon? <laughs> well, I've, I've not quite gotten as, as far into it as you have. I'm still having fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just completing the uh, the Pokedex now so that I can do what this mysterious voice has told me in my little arc phone, saying, Seek out all Pokemon. Oh, yeah. So, to, to, the, to, to you, better phone, I say, yes, I am going to seek out all Pokemon. <laughs> I caught my first shiny today, which I was very happy with. What, what shiny did you get? I got a shiny Krogunk, ah. who we, we love so much because of uh, his silly face. Anybody can, can play the game and enjoy it um, in the way that it's meant to be played. That's fine. You don't need to hear me saying that I'm doing that. One thing that I am enjoying at the moment is um, just going through all the all the Pokemon in my pasture and then just sort of giving my wife a nudge and saying, what would you call this one? <laughs> and whatever she says, just, just naming it that. Aww. So who have I got now? I've got Hot Ape, who is the, uh, the Infernape. Very yes. Good. See if I can guess these. Okay, cool. How about Hedge Dude? Hedge Dude? Yes. Uh, Tangrowth? Nope. Tangler? Nope. Decidueye? No, no. Oh, I don't know. Hedge Dude is a Torterra. <laughs> Terrible name for it. <laughs> uh, no, that's a great name. So yeah, yeah. Now that this is a uh, now this has taken off to astounding success and and enjoyment for everybody listening, I'll be doing it a lot more and uh, regaling you every week. Fantastic! I, I absolutely can't wait. <laughs> Chris, what have you been playing this week? Not Pokemon, obviously. <laughs> Although every time the two of you talk about it, this is a real example of how I. Uh, I can fall down to peer pressure of that kind of fear of missing out thing. Yeah. Because if if I was just me in a vacuum, I could see a Pokemon game release and be like, ah, you know, I've decided the series maybe isn't quite for me anymore. But you get so excited about talking about it. And, and Minty, you always tell such stories about your time in these games as well that I feel like, well, maybe I should be playing it. Maybe I'm missing out by not playing it. So I don't know. I've not bought it yet. Not bought it yet, but uh, who knows in the future. What I have been doing, on, on a recommendation from our Patreon-exclusive Discord, ah. you can be a part of that if you uh, <laughs> if you subscribe, I started listening to a podcast called Abject Suffering. Ah, yes. And 
the hosts are basically given a bad game to play each week for half an hour and then they pick it apart in another half an hour episode and it's a pretty good listen like it covers a trip to work and back you know i could do two a day sort of thing and one game they covered that i was particularly drawn to uh you know want to see for myself was pac-man 2 on the snes and that's because a numbered sequel to pac-man i had always assumed anytime it came up like in my rom library that it was just a variation on the arcade maze format so you know eat, eat eat the dots munch the fruit but it's not. Is that the 2D platformer one where they gave no. Pac-Man arms and legs? No, that's a lovely game. That's Pac-Land. Oh, right. Oh, okay. But no, Pac-Man 2 is, in essence, a console point-and-click adventure game for some reason. What? And you you watch over Pac-Man as sort of like an omniscient being, a bit like the VR game Moss. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And the only way you can interact with the world that Pac-Man is in is by using a slingshot to kind of like knock things over or, or make things happen. And then using the cardinal directions on the D-pad in combination with one of the buttons to have Pac-Man glance in the direction of the, the thing you're pointing at. And it's it's a really clunky setup and interface. But there's a ridiculous level of charm here that made me want to try and persevere, even though it's not a very good game. <laughs> like at, at least I played it for an hour or so because for the time it must have had such a huge budget like it's it's extremely well animated. Pac-Man is incredibly expressive. There's loads of little like audio stings and cues and stuff as you interact with different bits of the world. And it's it's a nice thing to play, if not a nice game to try and finish, if that makes sense. Okay. Like in the same way that like when I was a kid, I'd play a lot of point and click games and make very little progress, but I liked just interacting with people and talking to other characters. And it feels a bit like that, that to get through this without a guide is going to be pretty tough because a lot of the puzzles are bizarre, honestly. But the more I did play it, the more the logic of the world started to make a bit of sense in the same way that something like Monkey Island can feel really impenetrable until you start thinking in Monkey Island. (laughs) You know, an example of one of the earliest puzzles in in Pac-Man 2, Mrs. Pac-Man has asked you to venture out and get milk for the beautifully named (laughs) Pac-Baby. Rather than go and visit a store, you find a cow and a glass bottle and even though the glass bottle is in arm's reach, the way you have to solve that puzzle is by shooting a nearby crow with a slingshot who then knocks the bottle off its perch and then it rolls to the cow's udders and then you can make Pac-Man glance towards it and, and get squeezing. <laughs> like, it's it's so stupid and it's so unnecessarily long-winded to do all these things. But the audiovisual treatment of the whole thing is just really well done and, and I wanted to carry on. It's also got a really strange mechanic in game that means that Pac-Man is more responsive to your gestures when he's in a good mood. <laughs> and so if, if Pac-Man bumps his head on an obstacle or if he's shouted at by an NPC, he becomes visibly sad and morose. <laughs> and it's, it's, again, a huge credit to the team behind this weird game that his upset is so visible. <laughs> like hearing the name Pac-Man 2, as I said, I assumed it was just a maze game. I never would have thought that this was a game about managing Pac-Man's mental health whilst completing menial tasks for his family. Brilliant. But, but there we go. So it is a true oddity. And I, I almost I'm, don't believe you that this is real. It sounds like the April Fool's episode, but honestly, look up sort of a, a let's play for the first half an hour and you'll be you'll be surprised. It is a, a genuine oddity. So why did that need to be Pac-Man? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it was something else then retrofitted with Pac-Man for kind of like name appeal. Yeah. I think I think they started with Pac-Man and said, what should we do next? And somehow decided a point and click game was the way to go. Jeez. Bizarre. Really bizarre. The other game I've been playing quite a lot of, uh, I've gone back after about a two year hiatus to playing a lot of Clone Hero on my laptop. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I love Guitar Hero. I love Clone Hero. When I moved in with Georgia, I, I left behind my song library and my saved scores and everything else on the home computer. Mm. And I just never got around to kind of repopulating the game on my laptop when I got it that summer after I moved. But for whatever reason, in this last week, I updated everything. I, I refilled my library and I've started afresh to essentially make progress again, trying to seven star everything. And it's such a good game. Like, I, I know it's just iterating on Guitar Hero, but at this stage, other than not having the visuals of like a band playing in the background, which is largely for spectators' benefit anyway, rather than you as the player, hmm. it is better than every Guitar Hero or Rock Band game ever released. There's infinite content. It becomes just hands down the best rhythm title in this subgenre ever made. Hmm. And the thing that blows my mind most is it's a freeware thing. You know, it's, it was reverse engineered by hobbyists. It's, it's absolutely crazy. But that in itself got me thinking more and more about the number of kind of similar community helmed projects we've had in the last few years, like thinking about things like the Mario 64 decompilation. Oh yeah. Meaning that you can play the game in full 3d on the 3ds or at a million frames per second in 4k (laughs) on, on a computer 
or very recently, in the last week, in fact, the Resident Evil 4 HD remake. Oh yeah, I saw that, yeah. Which, over the course of like a decade, has seen its two-person team literally travel the globe, re-photographing textures in situ that have been identified by volunteer community members from the original game assets. Yeah. It's, it's one of the most insane projects I've, I've ever read about. Or, you know, think about emulators just consistently pissing all over collections of stuff that's released commercially. <laughs> yeah. You know, a- any number of compilations. You know, I hate bringing it up time and time again, but the, the Mega Drive collection on the Switch versus playing RetroArch on, on the computer, the imperceptible input lag on a computer versus that awful collection, it's, it's bananas. Yeah. Or, you know, fan translation projects as well, like Nino Kuni DS. It was never coming out over here. And that's a, a huge game to translate. The ancient Square Enix game called Racing Lagoon that everyone thought was just lost to time forever on the PlayStation 1 that recently came out in full English, like a professional job. The Vita ports of the GTA trilogy, a game called Bulk Slash on the Sega Saturn that I didn't know that that much about, but was recently not only translated, but also fully revoiced by semi-professional actors. Oh, wow. There's some amazing projects out there. And it just goes to show that big publishers will never win over when compared to fans in these passion projects, because you know, they don't have the time and money or they won't give the time and money to these things. And as much as sometimes it's because of licensing issues as well that mean that some of these projects could never exist officially, it makes me so excited when one of these things does pop up, even if it's not really pertinent to my interests. Because seeing these kind of cottage communities prolonging the life of games in the case of of Clone Hero, for example, or properly showing reverence for games like Mario 64 or Resident Evil 4 or, or bringing untranslated works to entirely new audiences... It's just, it's very wholesome stuff. And it's kind of a a whole selection and community about games that makes me very, very happy because it's not people screaming at, you know, Microsoft for buying a studio or Activision for making Call of Duty the wrong way or whatever else. It's just people going, games are cool and we'd like more people to play them. And (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah, I I just really love it. So, shall we move on to our amendments? Yes, sir. Minty, why don't you kick us off? Okay, cool. Sometimes, when I open up a game on my phone, I like to think back at what we used to be content with when phones just had those like uh, those those LCD green and black screens. I mean, obviously, back then, games were a bit of a, an afterthought, I suppose, because the primary function was to you know make phone calls and store up to eight text messages. <laughs> <laughs> there were some not good games on these phones, but there were some that did seem to have... I guess an impact, however small, on gaming in general, like uh, on the classic and eternal Nokia thirty three ten, alongside yes, like a pairs game, the um, that dog shit slow juddering side scroller Space Impact, and a yeah, uh, a functional and that's it digital version of Mancala. There was of course the wildly popular Snake Two. Uh, yes. It had oh, it had everything, didn't it? The classic snake gameplay action. Um, there were you know the different speeds, um, and all that. <laughs> <laughs> there were also different enclosures for your snake to like worm its way around, weren't there? You could have no enclosure with a bit of screen wrapping. You could have a box. There was a there was a course that looked. A little bit like a swastika. Um, <laughs> everybody was mad for it in high school, except for me, because surprise, surprise, I was extremely shit at it. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can hear him now mocking the kid who couldn't play it on a speed higher than level five. Well, one day I'll show you. I'll show all of you. What were we talking about? Snake. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Nobody would put it on a top games list. It wouldn't go on a, on a list like this because it's a good game. Like Maybe because of its ubiquity in the early noughties, but that's probably about it. Like a like a legacy choice or, or an honorary doctorate. But... <laughs> 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 but as we all know, there's nothing new under the sun. So obviously one day a game was going to come around that made Snake good. And it does that in the way that seems to make everything good these days. By adding roguelike elements. Ah. Yeah. I love Snake RX. I think yes. it's I, I think I think it's the one pick up and play game that I pick up and wait for it play the most. Oh, okay. So instead of your little nubbin snake getting longer as you eat food, your snake is now a conga line of adventurers who who use their various abilities to defeat ever-increasing waves of like bloodthirsty sprinkles. Some sprinkles are red, and they just they just sort of hang out. 
Um, green ones will give everything a speed boost when they die. The blue ones explode into shards, etc., and so on, and, and all the rest of it. It's a very small roster that's, that's wielded effectively by the game to provide a fairly steep difficulty curve as you become longer and stronger yourself by mixing and matching all the different enemy types together. Likewise, your conga lion snake thing has different coloured segments too, each with their own powers. Like... The reds are the rogues who provide boosts to critical rate and damage and then offer maybe even chain attacks. The greens are the healers, they're the ranged attackers. The yellows are the close combat fighters. Oranges can make bombs or summon little critters to fight for you. Blue ones do magic attacks, purple ones curse things, and the white ones will create little, little orbs that, that orbit you and smash into enemies. That's the colours. But in the colours, there are different subclasses that have different ways of using those colour classes' abilities. Like, do you, do you want to spawn a critter every few seconds? Or do you want to have your foes become critters when they die? Can the buffs from the high-level green classes provide synergies that work well with your red segments? Or do you lean in hard to the, uh, to the area of effect attacks and just coat the whole screen in damaging auras? The choice is yours, but just barely. So you get money to buy new snake segments after each round, with the better ones being more expensive. And uh, re-rolling the three subclasses on offer costs a few coins at a time. The more gold you have on hand, the more you receive an interest after each round, which is a nice little uh, balancing touch that helps, uh, helps the early game a lot, because it makes you think about whether it would be Better to pad out your snake with loads of weak characters as soon as possible, or maybe just hold a few coins back for a more a more meaty unit a few waves down. Uh, things never cost more than about five coins, though, so everything is always attainable. You never feel shortchanged or uh, unable to try out a new strategy. It's fluid, it's really easy to pick up, and unless you're set in your ways like me and go for the same loadout every single time you play and put the fact that you always lose down to your own ability instead of maybe the possibility that the team you chose isn't that great, different every single time you play. Now, each time you beat the game of 25 waves and bosses, your new game plus counter goes up, letting you enjoy a longer snake in exchange for... A harder game. I've no idea how no idea how high it goes or if it ever ends but I've been playing for on and off for a good well ever since it came out on iOS and I'm only on new game plus two. I'm constantly getting my ass added to me. It's short enough that you never feel like losing a run has been a waste of time like just five minutes before bed why not that's fine. A game in between longer games sign me up. For the amount of time you'll play it and love it it's incredibly good value as well. It's like two forty nine. Buy it. You spent more on less. <laughs> and now, in terms of placement, um, yeah, straight swap. I think I'm taking out creatures two and putting in snake RX. Fair play. <laughs> Where whereabouts was that? Sort of around seventy four, seventy five. How was creatures that high? Creatures two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these are the episodes where we can really look back at some of these and be like, yeah. what? <laughs> what? I got that. Yeah. Got that free in a newspaper. Yeah, you got me a copy. By buying there the same newspaper. I got it for my <laughs> birthday. It was 35 fucking pounds. Unbelievable. Honestly. I wonder what newspaper it would have been. I believe it was the Telegraph. Really? Yeah. I don't know why I remember that. In fact, I, I, I might not be. I might just be making it up. I just, can you, I, I can't imagine the marketing department behind there being like, I think what people who read our slightly right-leaning broadsheet newspaper would really like is a free copy of PF Magic's Creatures too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. There we go. So, my turn. I spoke back in the first episode of this season, when I included Forza Horizon 4 into my list, that that was one of a couple of games that I discovered during lockdown with a group of old friends from uni. And we fast progressed from meeting up every Friday night to play Worms Armageddon to exploring the Xbox Game Pass library, which is where I found Forza Horizon. And it's also where I found this week's amendment because this week I'd like to find a place for Sea of Thieves in my list. Oh, hey. swashbuckling. Buckling and a swashing is the main activity in Rare's pirate em up game. And I know that it, it got a bit of a rocky start in life. Uh, it was obviously a much-awaited uh, game from Rare, as all games from Rare are, or certainly have been since they made good games on the N64. <laughs> uh, and, you know, this is one of the X uh, Xbox One. I've got confused already by the naming. It was an Xbox One game. It was. Yeah. 
I mean, who knows? You do. And now we do. We do. I know when it came out, people were pretty underwhelmed by it because I think it, well, it, it broke the mould a little bit, certainly from what people expected from Rare, which is, you know, a tight and beautifully designed single player experience. And Sea of Thieves isn't that. And I know that the game has been continually developed and supported and it's grown and evolved. But even with the game at the point it is now, if you go into it expecting to get that tight single player experience that you got in things like Banjo-Kazooie or Conker's Bad Fur Day or Goldeneye, you're going to come out disappointed. And it was something that I needed to get my head around as well, because like I went into it initially thinking exactly this. I knew my group of friends had been playing it already and I, I thought I wanted to give it a whirl before I played it with them and, you know, obviously just let myself down. And I didn't really understand the concept at first. Like, I didn't know about the gameplay loop. I just assumed that, you know, you start a game, I have my ship, I found some bits of treasure, I could just keep them there, I'd kill some skeletons, you know, I'd quit, I'd come back and I'd carry on. No, because that's not how this works. Because it, it, it's something almost of a roguelike to the way the game works in that every play session you start from scratch. And if you don't sell your treasure and loot before you quit, that shit's gone. But the point of the game isn't to get as far as you can like in roguelikes or it's not about getting as many kills as you can in other multiplayer games and this is where the game really sets itself apart for me because the game doesn't have anything in it that allows you to be better than anyone else in it like you can't buy better weapons or level up to the point where you can just flick enemies across the map with your limp peg willy Everything that you can buy in the game is purely cosmetic. They're just emblems of your victory that you literally wear on your sleeves or on your sails. Like, if you see another player on the map and their boat is pimped out with some cool swag, you know that they've got some victories under their belt and they've had some great adventures. It means that they they might be a bit more dangerous than someone else you run into, uh, but that's only because they've clearly put some hours into the game that they might have a, a finer control of the nuances of admittedly very basic fighting mechanics. You know, but other than that, it means that everyone's always on a level pegging. And it, it means it's actually very inviting to newcomers, despite there being a lot to get your head around in terms of how the game works. But just having a great adventure, that's what the game is all about. Like, I think the best way I found to describe the game is more of a pirate story simulator. And that's what's remarkable about what Rare have built here, is that they've created the sandbox and the ingredients for you to build your own pirate adventure. And it, it, it's it's a hard thing to describe, really, because everything just feels so organic uh, the way you experience it. Like, you might start up a session with some friends, you'll get a boat that's relative to your crew size, You'll pick up uh, a couple of clues to to get you started on an adventure. You'll set sail across stormy seas, perhaps find a sunken shipwreck you can loot for treasure, maybe doing battle with some skeleton ships or another player ship. You might even come up against a, a megalodon or, God forbid, the kraken. You'll find islands and solve riddles and be undead pirate captains. You'll get foiled by booby traps or, you know, you'll just catch fish and cook them and sell them to a merchant. Or you might piece together fragments of a treasure map that leads you to to pull out your spade and start digging for treasure. And the story beats that happen aren't the bits scripted on different missions and quests. They're the moments that happen in real life between you and your crew, in between everything else. It might be a really close call with another ship or accidentally scuttling your ship on the rocks and desperately trying to bail out water while half your crewmates are being eaten by sharks. It might be like a mad and incredibly tense dash to sell your treasure before like an enemy ship on the horizon reaches you to try and steal it off you and it forces you to make some sort of daisy chain of cargo transferring it from your ship to the merchants and then like one of you will take a gunpowder barrel on a rowboat try and sneak around the back of the enemy and blow their ship up. It's such a malleable game. It's a wonderful, wonderful time just being a pirate. And Rare also build in things. I mean, they've they've got so much consideration for whatever way you might play the game. Like little things in there just to help with any pacing issues that might happen. Or, you know, just, just to help establish the mood and atmosphere. Not things that, like, force you to slow down or force you to speed up. But just in, in, in the way that the game is built. Like, controlling the ship is a team effort. 
if you go out as a, a two-man crew, you can have one person on the wheel and, and sort of looking over to below the deck to see your map, and then the other person can be on the sails and they can like rush over to lower the anchor when you need to. But then if you've got the biggest boat, so if you're taking out like a, a full crew of four, then you need to have one person below deck charting on the map. You've got three sets of sails, so you need to have somebody manning those. And it needs coordination and communication, which is so much more enjoyable and satisfying than it should be. But just that level of, I don't know, it's that sense of just a good job done when you pull it off. And like, you know, if you look, like lower the sails at the right point, read the wind properly, just to, to casually drift up to a dock on a small island and hop straight off with a treasure chest without falling in the sea and, you know, making a splash. It's just little things like that are just so, so nice when you get it right. And it means that you're, you know, you've always got something to do and you've always got a role to play in your crew and something to sort of keep an eye on and think about. It fills those moments that, that you might think, oh, I'm just I've, I'm just going to walk in this direction or I've just got to sail in this direction. But then even when you do get moments where it's a straight line sailing to this island that I'm going to and there's clear skies, there's no enemies on the horizon you can just break out a musical instrument, start playing a sea shanty. And like <laughs> one of your crewmates can can get their instrument out and, and join in. And maybe one of your pets comes over and does a little dance. It's just like little moments of magic like this, that they stay with you as much as the dramatic twists and turns of an adventure. Interestingly, I mean, to bookend what I was saying earlier about Pokemon Legends Arceus, like good graphics don't make a game good, bad graphics don't make a game bad. But the graphics in this game go a long way to aiding your experience as well. Because when a game is as beautiful as this one is, you can happily stand and watch the sun setting over the sea and playing a shanty just because it feels like a nice moment to do that. It's been said before, but I'll say it again here. The lighting and water effects in this game are second to absolutely none. They are stunning and gorgeous, and the art design complements it all so well. It is just the icing on the cake of a brilliant adventure. Since becoming a dad, I haven't had the time in the evenings, or, or if I have got the time, I don't have the energy, to join with my friends in the same way that I did and, and join in on any Sea of Thieves sessions. But, you know, hopefully I'll get more of a chance to do that at some point, because it's an experience like no other game. It's a game that's honestly about friendship and the journey you go on <laughs> and the pets. Let's obviously not forget the pets. They don't do anything in the game apart from just be lovely and be there. We know that any game that has a dog has to allow you to pet it. This game lets you pick it up and cover your furry friend and then fire him out of a cannon. Oh, <laughs> It's a game that I'm really excited actually to get up and running on my Steam Deck when that arrives, hopefully next month. And... We've spoken in the Patreon-exclusive Discord server about doing some Patreon crew sessions on the game, which I'm I'm really, really excited to do because it's just, yeah. It basically, it facilitates great moments between friends. And that is a really rare thing for a game to do. If you haven't given the game a go, I'd really encourage you to persuade some friends to invest and give it a chance. I mean, if you've got an Xbox or you've got a PC that, you know, can handle such things, it's on Game Pass. So, you know, give it a go. Like, it's worth it's worth one month of, of paying a subscription to Game Pass to, to, you know, to try it. And also, I uploaded a stream of one of my nights of uh, piracy with my crew, which is on our website, if you want to see how a session can go. And if you want to get involved with playing, uh, playing the game with us, Head over to patreon.com slash O3C games, pop a little pledge down, get yourself into the O3C Discord, and you can join us for some thievery uh, over the next few months. And that would be wonderful. So where's it going? What's getting the boot? Well, I've decided to get rid of Dishonored this week, oh. which is a game I loved. But Dishonored felt very much like uh, the, the modern thief game to be honest even like the modern thief game thief 4 i still quite enjoyed but dishonored is really really good it's you know it's a really good game but it isn't as good as thief 2 the metal age and it's not as strong a first person narrative experience as something like bioshock infinite and like i, I really loved like the gothic aesthetic and and the lore in the game but since doing our lists and playing dishonored I've experienced Dark Souls and Bloodborne in particular, and that level of design and lore has superseded Dishonored and it's left, left that a little faded in my memory. Still a great game, but that's gone. And I think I'm actually, 
I'm not necessarily doing these uh, these games this season in order. Number one. Uh, so it's possible that <laughs> it's, it's possible that, that games I talk about in the next few weeks might be lower than Sea of Thieves, but then it's possible that I might just shuffle everything up at the end anyway. But for now, I really want it in my top 50, and I'm actually I'm going to place it in the mid-40s for now. We'll see where it ends up after all the shuffling's been done, but it's a very special game to me. You know, like when we, we talk about games that you associate with memories of like when you were a kid and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's rare to have those sort of games these days because of the life you live. <laughs> the fact that, you know, you're not a kid and you're not just haven't got all the free time in the world. But Sea of Thieves sort of really recaptured that feeling of, of what, it, what it was like to sort of actually have real sort of bonding sessions with games and friends. And uh, yeah, fantastic game. Well then. Lovely. Very nice. Chris. What's on yours? I'm not sure how many times I've referred to games having a sense of place throughout our episodes to date. (laughs) (laughs) But I I know it's obviously come up in things like Breath of the Wild. I know I mentioned it when I was playing Ocarina of Time on the 3DS as well. I I think I even mentioned it when I was talking about Euro Truck Simulator in in a roundabout sort of way. But today's game, Yonder, the Cloud Catcher Chronicles, uh, is another title that I enjoyed mainly because it was a location you could get lost in. A lovely game. I talked about this game a lot when I was playing it with Georgia. And lo and behold, it's another game that I associate with lockdown because so much (laughs) of the last few years has been in lockdowns. But instead of being something that summarized a collective feeling, like I said, Little Inferno was, or, or something that helped me lift into having like a base sense of purpose again, like Balloon Kid a couple of weeks ago. Yonder was a game that we played together as we'd already moved in with one another and from memory, I think we played it a lot around the springtime and it was kind of, you know, seeing the soft pillowy landscapes in yonder granted a real sense of escapism at a time when we were being advised to to stay home and to cancel trips and visits outside of our immediate vicinity. It is a game purely about exploration, really. You know, there's no combat, there's no aggressors, there's no antagonists at all, really. You arrive in a strange place at the beginning and then you just wander about. (laughs) You befriend locals, you find cats, you collect resources. And if you're me, you take an awful lot of pictures using the game's photography mode. (laughs) I mean, as an aside, I absolutely love that photo modes have become the norm in so many titles these days. Yeah, Because like thinking back for for games I've played in the last year or so, half of my playtime in Spider-Man Remastered was taking ridiculous depth of field shots of Spider-Man's incredibly detailed suit. You know, using the the city action blurred into the background. Just amazing shots. It looks incredible. When the Matrix Unreal demo landed on the PS5 a few months back, something we actually didn't cover or mention at all on this show. But I, I played through that. I spent most of my time in that world just seeing what everyday compositions I could make as rubbish blew by in the wind or, or light reflected off a crumpled bit of a car. And when I was playing Yonder, I think Georgia got quite bored because every time it was my turn to play... I spent a huge amount of time just experimenting with focal length and aperture and just generally fucking about <laughs> with the warm, oversaturated lighting model the game uses to make little homely scenes of, of our character gliding around the map on their little parasol. I mean, talking about this game, I'm bouncing around a lot of these side ideas and asides because the game itself isn't much more than a kind of open world playground. Because there isn't any threat, it's just a game you take totally at your own pace. Like there's, there's no leveling of your character. There's no combat other than breaking crates or cutting down trees. There's no pressure to complete a story mission or side task with any sort of urgency. It does have a few bits like some light farming, if you fancy getting into it. There's a sort of encyclopedia-style research collectible with, with the game's flora and fauna. But mostly in Yonder, you just go and, and wander about. And, and that's why I really, really love it. When you try and compare it to its contemporaries... There are recognisable threads, but it still very much manages to be its own thing. Like thinking back again to Breath of the Wild, for instance, I could marvel at Hyrule in that game with all its Korok secrets and nooks and crannies and whatever. But the fact that there are always enemies in the world mean that a jaunt can always be cut down early. Or you can be having a nice little stroll and then the weather of a certain area will will end up harshing Link's wanderlust buzz. And, you know, you might boot the game up wanting to just have a little walk about, but the pressures of the environment and its denizens mean that even though you can go anywhere, sometimes you might not want to (laughs) because it can be quite threatening in different places. And equally, I I could farm in something like Stardew Valley if I started it or Harvest Moon or Story of Seasons or, or whatever else. But in all those games, because part of the progression is tied to your crop rotation and your profits and everything else, there's a level of pressure as well. 
So anytime you do spend exploring side activities, it's time that you're not moving your farm forwards, which is still, you know, the cut and thrust of those titles. Even walking simulators like Firewatch or, or Dear Esther or Gone Home, there's no pressure for you to do anything. And yet, if you're not moving the narrative forwards, what's the point <laughs> in the experience yeah. at all? You know, you know the, the narrative is what makes a walking simulator a genre. It has to have a story through line in it. But Yonder takes all those aspects. So so the story, the farming, the exploration, and just dials back the pressure in every single area. And we played so much of the game, sat on the sofa, like legs over one another's laps, just relaxing and enjoying being somewhere different together. So Georgia might spend some time guiding animals to the little pens she'd set up to help generate wool or whatever else they, they made. Like I said, I enjoyed taking photos and just gliding about above the game's little gulches. But no matter how aimless our sessions with the game may have been more broadly, we play for hours at a time and come out of it somehow feeling like we had made progress because in doing our little bits and bobs, the world had still expanded just by virtue of us spending time there. We might have found a few of the little sprites accidentally that helped clear the murky mist of whichever area we were bouncing around. We may have come across more of the hidden cats. We may have managed to collect enough of a resource to help a townsperson that was just kind of in our quest log in the background. And even if we weren't always looking to fulfill these goals, we just were making progress through them, you know, incidentally, as we bopped about the world. There did come a time, probably 20 or so hours in, when we realised that we were nearly at the end of the game, at least in terms of like tickable objectives and story. And that realisation, I think I remember talking about it on the podcast, it was probably the part of the game I enjoyed the least. Because, you know, if you remember when I was talking about it each week, not having to have kind of a checklist approach meant that I was just enjoying being there. And then suddenly when I realized, well, you're, you're basically 99% of the way to the finish, it feels like, well, I'm going to have to get a guide now and do that last bit because you can't just drop a game that you've, you've got that far in. It felt like I had to do something to kind of cap it off. But even that, I'm, I'm not really convinced this is a particular slight against the game because if you're someone who may have approached the whole thing just a little bit more methodically or diligently, you probably never would have had that same shift in tone that I experienced. So overall, it's it's just a lovely example of a developer making something that players can engage with however they'd like to. You know, Animal Crossing does this too, most obviously. And, and whilst Yonder isn't going toe-to-toe with that franchise and it's kind of do whatever or do nothing, shoulder shrug, shoulder shrug that comes with it, it scratched a very similar itch for me. I played Yonder on the Switch back when I, when I played through it, but I know it recently got a port to the PS5 and I'm quite keen to go back and play it again, presumably just because it will have nicer visuals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I spent so much time taking pictures. Why not take nicer ones? <laughs> to be fair, it did look really nice on the Switch. It did, it did. But yeah, if if you are interested in this, look out for some brand new digital photos on my Twitter feed in the near future. Oh, probably. hell yeah. So to the list, this process is tough and it is getting tougher. I've looked at games still in the back end, like Burning Rangers on the Saturn or Desert Golfing on mobile. And I thought I can move those out of the hundred. And then as soon as I update the spreadsheet, I have that thought like Joe Bluth and just think I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> so I, I, I'm having to be really careful. So today I am removing Terraria from the list. Oh. And it was quite a high entry. But the, the thinking here is that a lot of what I got from that game, I got in a much purer sense from Yonder. So in Terraria, I was never a master builder. I've always been very impressed with the type of things people do create in games like this and Minecraft. But that's never been what I've enjoyed about either title. I used to just like booting up Terraria, wandering about, exploring, digging holes, finding gems, just just being surprised by little kind of underground tableaus that are hidden away. But it's a game that, like I mentioned with Breath of the Wild, still has enemies and pressure and health and hunger and everything else. And Yonder just takes that away. And, And for that, it's a much purer, friendlier example of why those games appeal to me, I think. So, so that's my, my consideration for today. Yonder's going to go in the mid-70s, I think, for now. Though, looking around at that area of the list, there could be some more upcoming casualties, I think. <laughs> so, as, as always, numbers are quite fluid as they stand. But yeah, Yonder, the Cloudcatcher Chronicles, is a really special little game made by a very tiny team. But it's, it's really lovely stuff. And I am very much looking forward to, to giving it another go. Wonderful. Yeah, it was obviously under your advice that uh, me, and, me and Minty both picked it up. That's true. Yes. And I remember you saying like it's 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 got it's, it had like fairly not not uh, mediocre reviews, but just fairly you know sort of seven out of ten reviews. Yeah, it was pretty middling, wasn't it? Yeah, but you said like you were absolutely positive that we would both enjoy it for you know potentially different reasons, and and yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed it. Like you said, it was just lovely. It's just a really lovely low stakes 
nice game, you know? Yeah, instead of a walking simulator, it was just a pottering simulator. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Which we love. So there we go. Those are our three games that we have uh, managed to get into our lists. First of all, we had Snake RX. And then we had Sea of Thieves. Before finally, Yonder, the Cloud Catcher Chronicles. If you fancy catching our chronicles in the cloud, you can do that if you go to o3c.games. That's our website. That almost worked. Right? That actually worked. <laughs> <laughs> You can read all of our amazing articles there. There's some great stuff on there. Minty's pairing games with beers. Chris is talking about old games and and new games and games that literally no one else is playing. (laughs) Have a read of those great articles. Share one on Twitter. Remember, you can enter the competition if you tag us, tag friend, and follow us on Twitter. That's all you need to do. And just enjoy reading them. They're great. They're really, really great. And you can reach out to us on our social media platforms. Like I said, we're on Twitter at O3C Games. We're on everything else at O3C Games as well. Let us know what you're playing. Let us know what you think of these games. Ask us questions you might like us to answer in a future episode of the show. Suggest topics that you might like a bonus episode about. We're overdue that, aren't we? We should do one. We should, yeah. You can even reach out to us individually. And I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I live at Chaz underscore Hodges. And if you're lucky, you'll find me. It's Clement underscore Boo. And please do join us next week where we attempt to crowbar another three games into our bloaty lists. Ta-ra! And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. The Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast is on a mission to rank the top games of all time. I like the idea that when Bruce Wayne gets angry, he switches to the Batman voice. Why do you have such a problem making boomerangs shaped like a bat? You mean like Batman? Not like Batman, just make it for me! Bruce Wayne, I can't even with this guy. It's a Herculean task, and I'd be lying if I said it hasn't taken a toll on our cognitive faculties. Most people would be happy to have a job during a global pandemic. (laughs) Dennis. Hardcore Gaming 101, twice a week, every week, right here on the HyperX Podcast Network. Come on in, take a seat. What are you having? Well, of course I've heard of Hair at the Dogcast. That's the podcast that talks about video games and beer. For all of the latest gaming headlines, craft beer reviews, retro games, modern games, series retrospectives, console studies, and on occasion, extremely hungover discussions on the lore of Kingdom Hearts, make sure to check out Hair of the Dogcast, part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Coming soon to HyperX.com, HP.com, and more fine retailers, the HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless. Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life, so you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into the action. The dual chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X spatial audio provide reduced distortion, allowing you to hear audio cues with pinpoint precision. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, no wires, the new HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless.